1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the world as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So if you keep that uh, passage open, we're going to refer to it a little bit. And we can uh, start the slide in a minute. Uh, But just think of whether or not we call this church our home church, or whether we're just visiting over the summer, or for a short period. To those of us who are Christians, we are a chosen race, a whole royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. For those who here this morning who are still exploring what it means to be a Christian, I hope that you will get a glimpse of what it means to live this strange life, as Jesus put it, to live, to have life and life to its fullness. And if nothing else, it may explain why Christians can sometimes seem so strange and why our worldview is so different to yours. But that won't happen if we don't have God's help to ensure I speak accurately from his word or if we don't have his help to understand. So let me pray for just that now. 
Dear God, may the things that I say be clear and accurate and help us all through your spirit to understand what your word is saying to us this morning. Amen. So at this holiday time, many of us will be having new experiences, either here in the UK or abroad. More of us will have come to Newcastle after a period of living in a different city, area or country. My experience of both is that that creates a disconnect about what I'm used to and what I'm familiar with. The new country seems strange. The new culture takes a while to get used to. And that can be in seemingly small things of greetings from Boutche, which was my Northern Ireland greeting, to YI, as they say here, only not in that accent. Or maybe in the, uh, the kind of the pronunciation that native English speakers use for this delight. So this... Uh, is a lovely treat. I love it. I think it's really nice. But across England, there is a pronunciation difference. This map shows how people born in the British Isles tend to pronounce this treat. The redder areas tend to pronounce it correctly as scone, whereas the bluer areas, they tend to get it wrong by calling it a scone. You can see there's a marked concentration in that between Hull and Manchester, again in Essex and London, as well as that southwest part of Ireland. Closer to home, I understand there's a a beetroot pronunciation line running roughly between Berkeley to Whitburn. Above the line, it's definitely beetroot, while below in Sunderland and County Durham, it's more beetroot. So maybe that's one to try the next time you're on the metro going to Sunderland. But there are much more significant challenges of getting to terms with different culture, language, system of government. And I'm hoping that all of us can relate in some way to that feeling of disconnect or strangeness. And that disconnect can produce stress and challenge. My family will certainly uh, testify to how stressful I can find driving unfamiliar cars and different roads uh, in uh, usually on the, on the other side of the road. I find it a stressful experience. They will tell you that. But this strangeness of being alienated from our surrounding culture is also a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Here in 2 Peter, addressed, first of all, to strangers in the world, we see why it is for Christians and the impact that should have on our lives. Why that very strangeness can be a cause of deep celebration recognizing that we are citizens of a different place and that being with God in heaven is the ultimate home for everyone who builds their life with Christ as our cornerstone. But let's start with some background to this idea of being a stranger. We're going to start with Moses, for it was he that coined the phrase stranger in a strange land. That phrase resonates strongly in our culture with songs by diverse artists such as Iron Maiden on one hand and Barbara Streisand the other, and I don't think you can get a larger uh, range than that. Or maybe the haunting melodies of uh, Fiddler on the Roof as that Jewish people subject to pogroms, persecution and forced exile. But Moses, as you may recall, was an Israelite born at a time of persecution of that people by the Egyptian government first hidden in a basket to escape death as a baby, and then adopted into the royal court. At age 40, Moses was at the height of his power. 
Stephen, in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, in Acts chapter 7, the first Christian to die for his faith, takes up this narrative about Moses. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge among us? Do you want to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? At that retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So it was while he was in that strange land of Midian that Moses names his eldest son Gershon, which means stranger. While he was in Egypt, Moses had thought that he had known God's plans and how he could secure him. He thought he could do that by his own might and wisdom. But it was there in that strange land of Gershon, for another 40 years he labored and felt that disconnect with his neighbors and even his family. Before eventually God called him in a dramatic way to be part of his family and to do the job that God wanted him to do. So why does Peter take up this theme of being strangers in our passage this morning? So while as Christians, our new citizenship ceremony is not usually as dramatic as that experienced by Moses in the burning bush, our call is every bit as amazing. Because we can base our foundations on a living stone, on Jesus. And as Jesus' experience was of rejection by the world's authorities even his own people. That cornerstone is the basis for every Christian's outlook and worldview. Although it is rejected by men, it's precious in God's eyes, and he calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to that cornerstone and foundation, to Jesus. He guarantees our passport to this new country. And unlike some of the vagaries of my colleagues in the Home Office, he gets it right every time, first time. And we have a promise that such devotion will be worth it. There is an eternal reward. Turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 2 in the Bible to examine this in a bit more detail. Firstly looking at who we are and then what that identity means to us. And in looking at both who we are and what that means, Peter gives us some classic advice for how we can live our lives as a citizen of heaven. So in verse 8, let's examine what our identity is in six brief but amazing descriptors. So firstly, we are a chosen race. Here Here Peter is clear that there is a new chosen people. There is a new covenant or agreement that has been made with Christians that relies entirely on what God has done through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's not just a chance occurrence. 
but something planned from the beginning of time. Now, I know I find it hard to grapple with something so far outside my own understanding. I don't know why God has chosen me. It's certainly nothing to do with who I am, what I do, where I come from, my family, my status, my job. But I do know that he loves me. And the fact that he does is a source of great comfort. In what's a surprising turn of events, to me at least, for a Northern Irish Presbyterian schooled in the Westminster Confession of Faith from age two, I actually find the words of Article 17 of the Church of England to be really helpful in understanding this concept of something known as predestination. The beginning of Article 17 says, Predestination to life is the eternal purpose of God, whereby before the foundations of the world, he has constantly decreed by his counsel secret to us to deliver us from curse and damnation those whom has chosen in Christ out of mankind and to bring them by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honor. Do look at the resources on the church website for uh, far more information and for a far better explanation than I could ever offer in this. We have some clever bunnies on the church staff. Probably wouldn't appreciate being called clever bunnies, but they write some good, uh, good articles. Secondly, we are a chosen priesthood. And not only are we chosen, we are part of the royal family. Kings and queens, princess and princes, we are directly related to the king of all kings. We are brothers and sisters adopted into a royal family. And as well as being royalty, we also have direct access to God. We are all part of the priesthood. That's a great antidote for me, at least, for feeling, feelings of self-doubt or feelings of worthlessness. The identity we have in Jesus is amazing. We are a holy nation. And perhaps in the challenging times politically in this country, with questions of national identity seeming to come at us from every angle and politicians vying with each other to proclaim their vision of what it means to live in this country... It's amazing to know that, whatever the colour of our passport, we as Christians have been set aside as a new people, one precious to the creator and sustainer of the universe, because our identity is in Jesus, and we rely on his righteousness, not our own. And that means God sees us as pure. So we're a people of his own possession, God's people. This image is again being part of the royal household, Set apart and precious, we belong to God the Father. A fulfillment of the intended creation order of God and people working together with God at the center. For me, that's about finding true purpose in our lives, answering the question of what on earth am I here for? Some of us I know have spent time together thinking about that looking at Rick Warren's books on the purpose-driven life. Remembering that you're a stranger here on earth can help us get our priorities right. We're aiming to live our lives as God's people. How do we measure up against that aim is critical. And perhaps we could take some time after service today to think about that. And maybe even uh, during the coffee in the discussion with those around us. Our new identity only happens because we have received mercy. It can only come about because of what, what Jesus has done for us. None of us even the good people here deserve to be part of this royal priesthood or holy nation. We were without mercy. The Bible is clear in Romans chapter 3, 23, that all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. But also in those amazing words from John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Lastly in this section, we come to our key phrase, sojourners, uh, which is another word for strangers, exiles. Peter has already opened his entire letter by addressing it to strangers in the world. And here he returns to the theme, summarizing that as a, diff- as a people with a different king, new values, changed status, and a new people, we're no longer part of the normal world order. Our lives should reflect that new priority, that new reality. And that will mean disconnect and strangeness with those who don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. So we need to work out what that actually means for us. So in verses 11 to 13, Peter highlights three impacts. Proclaiming the good news, abstaining from evil, and keeping our conduct honorable. I'll unpack those in a bit more detail. So we're told to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. One of the dangers of strangeness with our connecting culture is that it becomes uncomfortable to share our lives with non-Christians. We retreat into some sort of holy huddle with people who share our values and outlook in life. But Peter is clear that this is the wrong response. Our proclamation needs to be to the whole world. We have received a marvelous gift of mercy. And Jesus has told us to go into the world and make disciples everywhere. We should share this marvelous light. We're instructed to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul. This call to abstention fits in with our status as strangers. We should distance ourselves from lusts, whether that indulging in greed, idolatry, drunkenness, gossip, or slander. A temporary resident in a foreign land is not likely to adopt all the customs of the land they're visiting. Our standards, our values, and our lifestyle should be different. And we should bear witness with our deeds, as well as our words, that we are citizens of a better kingdom. Peter also tells us to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. These good lives are ones that are attractive and beautiful, obvious conduct that is consistent and full of integrity. Reflecting the instruction of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. But the reality is, even with a perfect good deeds and a perfect life, we can still expect to be spoken about as evildoers. There is a bias of unbelievers against all things to do with God. It's true today, and it was true when Peter was writing. For instance, the historian writing at that time, a chap called Tacitus, remarked that Christians were loathed because of their abominations. So, I'm going to conclude... And in verse 16, Peter gives us great advice as to how to live as strangers in this land. We should live as people who are free, but we can't use that freedom as a cover-up from evil. But instead, we need to live as servants of God. 
this seemingly contradictory identity of a free save, free slave is at the heart of who we are as Christians. That knowledge can release us to live our lives as a people chosen by God, set apart as a royal priesthood. And maybe examining uh, that life of Moses that we started with, maybe turn to the words of that great American evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, who saw it firsthand how God can use strangers in a strange land while he led a mission here in this city, just down the West Road at Rye Hill, in the Baptist church there. So in 1872, uh, it grew from nothing to such an extent that people required tickets for entry and then packed out both the assembly rooms and the time theatre for several months. And he gave this apt description of Moses, our original stranger in a strange land. Moses spent 40 years in the king's palace thinking that he was somebody. Then he lived 40 years in the wilderness finding out that without God, he was a nobody. Finally, he spent 40 more years discovering how a nobody with God can be a somebody. Surely the challenge is for us in realizing that we are a free servant. We are strangers, but we can be used for God's purposes here in Benwell, across Tyneside and to the ends of the earth if we take on board our heavenly citizenship and realize that we are loved and made special by God. So let's close by praying together. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us and that you have given us a new identity through Jesus. Help us live our lives in your purpose and calling. Amen.